Well, good morning. That sounded like a choir of about 200, actually, rather than the number that was singing. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much that you've brought us here again. You've given us another good night rest, and we're here to give you this day to praise you and bless your name. Lord, we tell you that in the power of your spirit, we want to press on. We want to press on in our love for you and our desire to obey you and just commit our lives to you. And we thank you that we can indeed trust you, your God, that is trustworthy. And we praise you for that wonderful quality about you. We pray now that as we open up your word, that you'll speak afresh to our hearts again. We want to leave here uh, more in love with you. Uh, We want to leave here praising you. We want to leave this place um, desiring to uh, change and to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. So we pray you'll do that work in us and speak to each of our hearts in the tender, wonderful voice of how you can do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the opening hymn this morning was actually right on the theme of the message this morning. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses, and I have a number of other verses to make reference to. I'm looking uh, or titling this message this morning, A God We Can Trust. And so when they had the opening hymn, Trust and Obey, I couldn't have asked for a better hymn. Speaking of hymns, I know that there's some very, very many uh, precious hymns out there that we all love. Matter of fact, I have a CD right now that has the hymns and they have a slightly modified or modernized version. And it's just wonderful to sing the hymns. Read an email this week that came. And so when that came, I thought, well, that's meant to be shared. But it's a hymn that there is for everyone. No matter what occupation you have, there is a hymn for everyone, no matter what you do. And someone has said that the golfer's hymn, and I heard there's going to be a golfer golfing tournament, is there's a green hill far away. Or the optometrist hymn, Open My Eyes That I May See. Or the IRS agent's hymn, I Surrender All. <laughs> the realtor's hymn, I think we have a few here in the audience. One of a popular hymn, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And then for those of you who drive, for those of you who drive 45 miles an hour, God will take care of you. 55, guide me, O thou great Jehovah. 65 miles an hour, for those who drive that, near my God to thee. 75 miles an hour, nearer, still nearer. 85, this world is not my home. 95, Lord, I'm coming home. And over 100 miles per hour, precious memories. These are two very famous, well-known verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Like Dean said, the Christian life really is meant to be simple. And those two words that were in the opening hymn, trust and obey. And this verse, it's really 
the, the writer is saying it very simply. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't do the temptation that we often try and do. Don't try and lean on our own understanding. But in all our ways to acknowledge him. And then wonderfully, he directs our paths and shows us what to do. You know, when you think about the question, who can you trust in this world? You might think, well, you know, there's not very many. There's a story told of a father who had wanted to teach his son a lesson about this issue of trust. And he had him go out onto the balcony that overlooked their their backyard. And it wasn't a large balcony, but it was just a small balcony where he could be standing underneath the father. And he was encouraging his young son to jump. And his son was reluctant to do it, but he finally convinced him to jump and he'll catch him. And it was a distance of just a few feet in the way it was set up in this home. It was more like a deck than a balcony. And the young boy jumped. And right as he was falling, the father stepped away and he fell to the ground. And he went and he picked up the child and he wiped away his tear, the tears that were in his eyes. And he said, I want you to learn a lesson. He said, I don't want you to trust anyone ever. Pretty pitiful lesson. But sadly, being human and being sinners that we are, sometimes we don't keep the promises that we make to one another. My daughter, my 15-year-old, or actually 16, has a thing. I don't know where it comes from, but when I say I'm going to do something and she says she's going to do something, we grab each other's little finger and we pull it. And that means I promise. And that's like a handshake to many guys. It's that little finger thing. We pull it. and That means we're going to try and keep our word. Sometimes, though, we break confidences. Sometimes we find it hard to not do that. There's a nice uh, and wonderful police officer that just left to go to another agency at Hayward, and she told me that she was going to be leaving, and she wanted it kept private. And one day she was talking on the radio, and I was with my boss, and I said, man, I'm going to miss, and then I just stopped. And he looked at me and said, what? I kind of let the cat out the bag, though. He's a close friend to her, so it was okay. But I didn't mean to. And it just kind of slipped out. Sometimes we break confidences. And sometimes we come out with exaggerated statements that if reality check were to really be proven, it might be untrue. It wasn't quite as big as we said it was. And sometimes we do that. There are some poor souls in the world who find it difficult to trust anyone, particularly some of those who have been abuse victims. They find it hard. The person or the people that they trusted the most may be, as far as in the natural realm, a parent a close friend, abuse that trust. And so they say, you know what? I find it really hard. I find it really hard to trust that person because of somebody who is that close to me, who theoretically should love me that much, violated that by doing what they did, then I'm going to find it hard and I'm going to keep my distance and kind of back off anyone else for that matter. And so those are some of the issues that go on in our lives. But there is someone, there is someone who keeps every promise, who refuses to break a confidence that you tell him in prayer, and this person never, ever lies. And we know who I'm talking about. We're talking about Almighty God, our Father, Jesus Christ, the Spirit, God. There's a wonderful hymn that Keith Green sang years ago. I'm probably dating myself. You might, some of you may not know who Keith Green was, but he was a 
really revolutionary musician worship leader back in the 80s, I believe it was, that he went to be with the Lord, or maybe just right around 1980. But he had this song that said, I was lied to by the enemy. But he said this, but you told the truth because you are the truth. A wonderful thing about God and why the writer in Proverbs can say that we can trust in the Lord with all our heart, we can give him every bit of it, is because he keeps his promises. I had the privilege of giving a wedding or doing a wedding a week ago last Saturday out in Newark at Ardenwood in the, that working farm out there. And it was a wonderful time. There was about 500 people there. And it was my first wedding that I've done in America. I did a few in, in Ireland, but they asked me back in March to do this and so it was a privilege. And what's noticeable, and obviously you just had a wedding, and you're going to be having another one, is it's a normal standard procedure somewhere in the ceremony that there are vows that are given. The bride, groom to the bride, and vice versa. And whether they're traditional or they have made their own vows, they are making, in the power of the Lord for the Christian, they are saying, I, I promise that I want to be this. I want to do this. And I promise. And afterwards, they say, I will or I do. And then at some point, the wonderful words are, you may kiss the bride as part of the ceremony. When you think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our relationship with him, when the words were said to him, Savior, will you take this sinner that he promised to say, I will and I do. I will take this sinner to the one who comes to me and says, I want a relationship with you, Lord. I know that I have sinned. I know that I am lost. I know that I don't deserve your grace and your love. But because of what you did on Calvary's cross, I want to receive you into my life. And will you take me? Will you take me to be forever yours? And he always says, I will or I do to the sinner. Second Peter verse one or chapter one verse four says that he talking about Jesus, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. The ones that are just preceding that, that he's given us the divine nature for those who have come to know him, that we have this power in the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to live on this earth. All because of his promises. There's another wonderful hymn, Standing on the Promises of God, my Savior. The Lord keeps his promises. What are some of the wonderful promises? that if we had just over lunch together today to talk about that we really appreciate about the Lord. Well, I know one of them. I have five of them here that I want to share with you. Maybe you'll talk about them sometime during the week. Some of the promises of why we can trust God. One is, is that he promises in his word that he will pardon us from our sins. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise that the writer John says this is true about the Lord. He promises to forgive us of all our sin. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing today, absolutely dreadful, if somehow you found out or you thought, you know what, he really hasn't forgiven me of all my sin. It really isn't true. That would be the worst day ever. Yet the Bible says about God in Numbers that God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God keeps his word. And he promises because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he spilt that blood for you and I that you have been pardoned. Amen? Amen. 
I mean, I can't think of better, any better news. Forget about house prices. Forget about the economy. Forget about the next vacation. Forget about where you're going to eat. Forget about any of that and rejoice today that you have been pardoned by a righteous God. He's promised us that. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.19 that God has also promised that he will supply all our needs according to his riches. It says there, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All of the needs that you have today, now I'm not talking about the wants. We all kind of know some of those wants we have. All of those needs, the need for food, the need for clothing, the need for shelter. God promises, he says it in Matthew chapter 6, he promises to meet that need. He knows when the sparrow falls. He knows everything about us and he promises to care for us in that way. He promises to protect us. Psalm 91, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's a refuge. He's a fortress. He's there to protect us and care for us. The psalmist went on in Psalm 118 to say, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. He's the one that we ought to look to for protection. And he's given those on the earth to help protect us who answer 911 calls or who go out and look after our safety or for the fire department or EMS for that matter. He's provided those to give us protection. He promises to answer our prayers. Now you say, well, remember, it's not always yes when we say that. Sometimes it's no and sometimes, of course, it's wait. But he promises that he's going to answer our prayers. So don't get confused with the idea, well, he didn't answer my prayer. Well, maybe he did. He just didn't answer it the way that we wanted him to possibly answer it on that occasion. But he promises to do that. I was just thinking this week how he answered a prayer in my family's life. I was just saying to this man who oversees the PowerPoint ministry, and I said, you know, it would be wonderful if my daughter had an opportunity, my 16-year-old, to get involved in that because she's really talented and gifted with PowerPoint. She can just do it. It just comes second nature to her. She can do that ministry. And he said, yeah, we'll have to look into it. Well, he sends me an, an email 24 hours later that says that one of the men in the PowerPoint ministry is going in for knee surgery, and there's an opening. And he said, I wonder if she'd be interested. So I broached the subject with her because I'm just wanting to see God do some things in her life by getting her involved. And I said, so what do you think? Do you think this is something you'd be interested in? And we prayed about it in advance and of talking to her about it. And she said, yeah, I don't know. I thought, well, I wasn't expecting, you know, yes, God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, yes. But she didn't say no, and she didn't say no, she just said, hmm. And then she said to me yesterday, when do you think I can get started in that? When do you think that might work out? And I said, well, I can introduce you to the guy. God answering prayer. You know, it might not be all that hugely significant to you folks, and I appreciate that. You have lots of stuff in your lives. But for us in our home, that's hugely significant for our 16-year-old. But that's not, it doesn't matter whether it is really to one or another. The fact is that to whatever's going on in our lives, we have a God who promises to answer our prayers. And you know what? Frankly, there's a T-shirt that I saw a few days ago that said um, it's the heart monitor where, you know, it shows the person's heart when it's like this, when it's hooked up on a monitor, and then it flatlines, and then it starts going again. And then the T-shirt, uh, it says, for a moment there, you bored me to death. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes... In conversation with one another, we're sometimes boring to one another, maybe. You see the eyes kind of getting low and, you know, it's like, hello, you know, are you listening to me? And I had a friend one day at a McDonald's in, in Dublin said, uh, I had that look, I guess. And he said, Steve, because that was my name in Ireland. He goes, Steve White. He goes, what did I just say to you? 
And I said, uh, I really don't know. <laughs> I shut off. You know, I just switched off. I got thinking about something else. And he, he caught me. But God doesn't shut off. Whenever we're talking to him in sincerity and in truth, and with a humble heart, a pure heart, he's, he's taking it all in. And he promises to do that. And lastly, there's more. He promises to be with us. With us. And I, you know, as real as if he were standing right here physically, he promises to be with us. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. You know, you think whatever it is you're facing this day, next week, and you just you don't know what it is, and you're scared. Even for us guys, you're scared. You don't have much courage about whatever that situation is. We can claim these wonderful promises in the Word of God, and we can trust God because He's true that he promises to be with us and to go before us and to be there. Frankly, when I had this wedding, you know, you really don't want to mess up a wedding. I know Adel and others who have married... Sometimes maybe in a message, you know, they're going to take you back on the next week or whatever. But a wedding is special for that couple. And, you know, it's, everybody's there and it's on DVD now or it's, it's there. And you just really don't want to mess it up and um, forget your lines and be asking the questions to the bridegroom that's for the bride and just, you know, the whole thing falling apart. I said, God, give me peace. You know, give me, give me courage. Let the gospel go forth with clarity. And um, you... You shine in this situation. And I just felt this marvelous peace. And you know what? It wasn't because there was any confidence in myself. It wasn't because I thought, well, I've, I've done this before a thousand times. But it was because God was there with me. And you think of those situations in your life where he promises to be that shelter for you. What builds, you know, our trust in him? You think about it today, you know, are you, are you strong? Would you say your faith is strong, that you're someone who who just finds it really easy, well, maybe not really easy, but you find it readily, you're going in that direction to where you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm trusting you. It's, it's more on a consistent basis in my life that I'm trusting you. But if you think about it, probably one of the reasons why you're like that, or for those of us who need to grow in this area of trusting the Lord with every detail of our lives and those whom we love, is that he has the character that we can trust in. He's got a strong character. You think about his faithfulness over your life to date, to this date, right now. And you look back and you think of how God has been faithful. You recall the promises that he promised and he specifically fulfilled in your life. Well, that you can trust in, that, in his character and that strengthens your faith. You look over the course of your life. For some of you, since you've been a Christian, it's weeks or months or a few years. But for others of us, it's been many, many years. And we look back and we just see this faithful God, this wonderful God that we would just say, uh, we bow down to him out of a total appreciation and gratitude for all that he has done. We see his consistency. He never, ever has an off day. He's never missed a moment where you would say, you know what, there was kind of a character flaw in him because he's perfect, because he's God. He's always going to be there for us. He doesn't change in his purpose. He doesn't change in his person. The God we know and serve He's exactly the same yesterday, today, and forever, as Hebrews says. He's trustworthy. That's a, that's a word you can't say of maybe of too many people. And even then, because we're frail, because we're, we're not perfect, because we're not God, we blow it. But he's trustworthy. 
the promises in the Old Testament and the New, he's the same God. We have a God who's unchanging in his character. And that, dear friends, isn't that a comfort and a blessing in times of unrest when the winds and the storms are blowing in our lives. There's two metaphors that speak of God in the scriptures. The psalmist sure talks about it a lot, and it's also a verse in, in Hebrews. And it's these two metaphors that God is a rock and God is an anchor. And you just think about those two things. He's a big boulder. He's not a little pebble, but he's like a boulder. He's this huge rock, strong, sure. And he's an anchor that just holds everything in place. There's a wonderful chorus we sing that says, Faithful one, so unchanging. Ageless one, you're my rock of peace. Lord of all, I depend on you. I call out to you again and again. I call out to you again and again. You are my rock in times of trouble. You lift me up when I fall down. All through the storm, your love is the anchor. My hope is in you alone. Those are the good words. Those are good words because they are biblical. And that's describing the character of our God. Stories told of two men who were on a ship when this fierce storm washed one of the two guys overboard. The sailor who drowned had been in the most sheltered place, while the one who survived was more exposed to the elements. But in this analogy, what made the difference? It was the one who had lost, I'm sorry, the man who had, was lost had nothing to hold on to. He wasn't holding on to anything. And so he was quickly washed overboard with the waves and the wind. You and I, we have this anchor to hold on to, to keep us steady and sure. That isn't always the picture, is it, of people who are rocked with the different trials that goes on in life? People would say, well, yeah, when life is peaceful, then everything is fine and they're self-sufficient. But when things start coming, and in this world things will keep coming, incoming at us, when the going gets rough, they're swept off their feet. And for those who don't know Christ, it's because at this point in their lives, that right now, they have refused his help. They've refused his help in having to, first of all, save them, and then all the benefits, if you like, that come with knowing him, of having his presence. They have nothing to hold on to. And easily, easily overwhelmed. Some of the calls I take from folks who call the police for different issues going on in their life, I don't sit in judgment on them by any means, but I think, my, oh, my, oh, my, if they only knew the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of the problems are self-inflicted. Some of them haven't been self-inflicted, but they're a mess. There's, there can be no peace. There can be no, absolutely no comfort. I, I don't know how they can cope. I wish I could say that, but I'm on a tape line and I'm not able to say that. And, of course, even in those situations, for those who don't know Christ, money isn't the answer. I mean, money isn't going to resolve and give peace. I mean, money might do have obviously a lot of benefits, but it's not going to give peace for the soul. Proverbs 11.28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall. If the trust is in riches, if the trust is in money, in stocks and bonds and in CDs, will fall. But people who cling like you and I at trust today who know him, who cling to the Lord, we can weather the fiercest storms of adversity that come our way. And this is an amazing thing. And I'm sure you have said this, I hope, out loud many, many times. 
I don't know what I'd do without the Lord. Because that's, that really is the it, isn't it? I don't know what I'd do without the Lord in my life. I'm amazed I made it as far as I did by His grace until the day that I trusted Him. Because frankly, I don't know what I'd do without the Lord. I do not know how to raise, I wouldn't know how to be married 25 years without the Lord. I wouldn't know how to raise my kids with any kind of common sense without the Lord. I wouldn't know how to do my job and deal with the different issues of personal relationships and gossiping and backbiting and all that kind of drama that goes on in the workplace. I wouldn't know how to cope with it. I wouldn't know how to cope with death. The loved ones that I know most, if they were to die. If I didn't know the Lord, I wouldn't understand how, what there is about an afterlife and that he promises that there's something much bigger than just what we see here on earth. I wouldn't know how to handle sickness. I mean, when I got pricked with a little needle back in high school to find out my blood type, I almost passed out on that. I mean, I just have no ability to cope, I don't think, with that back then. One day, you know, we all look relatively, from what I can see here, with my glasses on and even with them off, it looks like a pretty healthy bunch here today. But that's not always going to be the case. God in his wisdom, unless he comes back for us who know him, the course of events is that we're going to leave this earth and then we're going to go to be with him. And we'd all love it to be that we're going to just go like that, you know, just like that, you know. And everything was a bill of health and if God foresees it that way, wonderful. But some of us might go through prolonged illness. But if we didn't have the Lord, we wouldn't be able to cope with that. And because we do, we can. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. That's what the psalmist said earlier as I read from Psalm 91. We can trust God to do what he says he will do and then some. Just because he promises to never fail us because of his character. Worship and praise this wonderful God that we have today in his character. And then secondly, we can trust him. We can understand why the psalmist wrote this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. That's not easy. But why we can do that, secondly, is because of his incredible wisdom. You know, he never, ever, ever has to seek advice. You think about that. It's a wise thing for us to Scripture says, you know what, it's good to go get counsel. Good to go get counsel from a couple of godly people, from leaders in your church, who, walking with God, can kind of help guide you and give us some direction. I remember I went to one of the elders in my church when I was pondering marrying my wife. He said, why do you want to marry her? When I was like 18. And I gave him a reason, and he said, sounds good. I went back in that evening and told her, well, brother, this brother doesn't think we ought to be uh, dating anymore. And she said, what? He says, we, he really does think we should be man and wife. And then, of course, you know, she was thrilled and <laughs> kissed and it was a wonderful moment. I found on that right on my feet when I did that to her, so it was fun. But he always knows what's in our best interest. You know, you and I don't often know what's in our best interest. And sometimes even the most closest and dearest people may not really know what's in our best interest, and they've got to seek God for us to find that out. And then they're going to give us the right counsel and the right direction. But God always knows what's in our best interest because of his incredible, awesome wisdom. And he only does what's good for us. That's how much he loves you and I today. You think, well, why is he withholding this for me? Well, why is he letting me go through this? 
but it's because he only can do what's good for you and I. Genesis says, well, not the judge of the earth do right. He'll always do right by us. And with all due respect, that's, he stands far and alone in that category. And that's our God that we know. When things are going right, and I trust this is true for you, it's true for me, it's pretty easy. Frankly, it's pretty easy, or it's easier, let's say, to trust the Lord. But when painful trials show up, and sometimes natural emotion and reaction, like the psalmist and David, for David in the different psalms, is sometimes to tend to want to be um, the tendency is to want to be frustrated, and troubled, and disappointed. Then the question is: Is will we trust Him even in those situations? And you are not robots here today. You've all been there. You've all gone through that, and you're going to go through that. Let's face it. Some of those issues in our lives are going to be painful. They have been painful. Broken relationships, those of you who have lost employment, health concerns, death of loved ones, frailing health on your own part. What we do is Job's wife suggested, curse them or we bless them and say, you know what you're doing. Then, of course, you have the fact that we have a God who's in control. You look around the world, you read the newspaper, you look on the Internet, you watch television for 15 minutes, you get a sense sometimes, you say, you know what, the world is just totally out of control. It's out of control. And yet the Bible says what might appear to be, from the standpoint of human thinking, is the case. But with spiritual eyesight and understanding and discernment, God is very much in control. Sometimes... We say, yeah, I know, I got that. I learned that lesson. I learned that theological lesson that God is sovereign and he's in control very early on in my Christian life. But sometimes we might wonder in the quietness of the whispers that go on among us if he's missed something. Now, I don't know if he, I know he's in control, but I just kind of think he's missed something here. He's not quite seen the full picture. And we start to doubt. And when that happens, we have to remember, wait a second, stop that way of thinking. Stop those thoughts, stop those, those questions, and trust him. He never takes a coffee break. He doesn't take this break. He doesn't go for this kind of switched off for a second and, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. He remembers. He knows exactly what's happening. He knows about what's happening in our lives well before it even happens, as the psalmist says. Sometimes we understand what God is doing. Sometimes we do, and we can say, you know what, this is what God's doing in my life right now. And, and it's a lot easier sometimes for us when that's the case. But sometimes we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. And how do we react then? amazing thing is, is that he is not under obligation to tell us. He really isn't under obligation. It's not like he owes you and I to say, okay, I just want to check in with you, Randy, and I want to check in with you, Adel, and I'm just going to let you know what I'm doing because I know you're demanding that of me. We can't do that. He doesn't have that obligation to do it. He doesn't have to tell us the rationale for his actions. He just does not. He's God. Sometimes we say, well, you know what? I know that verse in Isaiah 55, uh, verses 8 9. This is what you're talking about, right? That our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. And I would say, yes, that is true. That's certainly true. Our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts. And we might just come always to this conclusion where we'd say, it's impossible to know. It's impossible to know what God's doing. It's a mystery. We'll never know. 
And yet I would suggest to you from Exodus 33, when Moses, he prayed this, he said, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. Really, what Moses was saying there is he's saying, you know, God, I want to know you. Show me what I don't know about you, about your attitudes and purposes. Help me understand how you think. What motivates you and why you do certain things. I want to know with all humbleness, God, show me your ways. I want to find out more about you. And you think about it in the context of a marriage relationship. If a husband were to say that to his wife, you know, I I just want to know you better. And I just want to understand you so that I can care for you more. I want to understand what makes you tick. I think, frankly, all of you ladies here would be absolutely delighted to have that kind of concern on the part of your husband. That would be that in tune to wanting to know what makes you work, what makes you tick, how they can love you, how they can serve you, how they can please you, how they can kind of know what are the things that maybe they need to avoid just so they can be tender and not completely blow it and put their foot in their mouths and whatever else. That kind of love, you'd say, wow, that impresses me. That's what Moses was saying. He wanted to know that about God. And really, you think about it as well in Romans chapter 12, and you look at those verses about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that God wants to transform our minds today. He wants to elevate our thinking, raise it up, elevate it about him, about knowing what his will is. So God in his grace very well could say to you today, you know, you say, I don't know, Lord, what you're doing, but by your grace, will you show me? Will you reveal your character and yourself to me so that I can understand? And you know what? God might. It might be a situation where it will be in Isaiah 55 where you say, you know what? I just don't know his ways here. I really don't understand this. And you may not get the answer this side of heaven. But then you might. You know, you think about Joseph. When you go back to that story, the wonderful story of Joseph in Genesis, he didn't reveal why he let Joseph struggle in prison for a number of years before he elevated him to that position of prime minister, that position of authority. And yet for us, here in 2006, we look back in that story, and we look back at the character of Joseph, and we say, you know what? Man, this guy is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many ways. And we can say what? We can see some of God's wisdom in all of that because of the way that Joseph behaved and how he's a picture or a type, if you like, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in our knowledge of God will help us It'll keep us from going to wrong and going down that avenue of wrong conclusions about him. And as the psalmist says, or as the writer says in Proverbs, it'll keep us from leaning on our own understanding. And that's sometimes a temptation, isn't it? We just start going down this road where we're thinking, well, this is what I think about God. And this is, but you know what? We want to base it upon what the word says about God and be careful there. And lastly, his awesome love is another reason why we have every, it just absolutely makes common sense to trust him. Satan, of course, and remember the story in Job, he wants to undermine our faith. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus today, that's something he's working at 24-7. He wants to undermine it. He doesn't want you to think all these wonderful thoughts. He doesn't want your heart to be beating for God. If anything, he wants you to be not trusting in the Lord He wants you to kind of think that be skeptical about him, cynical, shallow in your faith. Basically, have you be and I be ineffective for his cause and for his purposes. That's his strategy. He doesn't want you to ever open up your mouth about the Lord Jesus to anyone. He wants you to be a silent witness. 
want you to be stumbling around in sin. You know, it's a pretty gloomy picture. It's a terrible, ugly picture of our enemy, of what his purposes are and the destruction he wants to bring in our lives. He wants to take advantage of whatever troubles and hassles and trials and whatever stuff's going on in our life. And he wants you to say, you know what? If I were you, if I were you, I'd question the motives of your father. This father you serve, I'd question him. I'd say, I don't know. Does it all make sense? We don't want to listen to that. If the Lord really loved you, that he'd want to say something to us like this, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. We sometimes have heard that voice. Someone has said he wants to associate the sting of spiritual discipline with a lack of divine caring. And yet the opposite is true. Sometimes we think this thought. We say, you know what? God really shows his love for me when everything is going fine in my life. That's when I know I'm in favor with him. That's when I know he's loving me. And yet, actually, that contradicts what the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews 12.6 says, Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. So you really can say, and you'd be right to say that, you know what, I know that God loves me when you're in a trial and you're feeling his hand or he's disciplining you and he's wanting to show you something in your character that will conform more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember my daughter a number of years ago said, you spank me because you love me. Now, a lot of folks would say that's absolutely the opposite. It's not how it should be. You never spank your kid because then you're not showing your love for your kid and all this garbage that's out there today. But we spank, we discipline our children appropriately, obviously, because we love them, because we want to see some behavior in them corrected so that they'll become what they need to be in that kind of discipline. And the Lord does that for us. He loves you today. And he shows it sometimes because you feel his hand. And you know what? Be grateful. Be grateful for that. You and I need to remember today that when we're facing the struggles, that we have a God who has our best in mind. So I ask you today, just in closing, you know, when you think of these two wonderful verses, in all your ways acknowledge him as a God who is strong in character, who loves you, who knows everything, he's wise. Why in the world should we ever fret? Why in the world should we be running around with, like our chicken with our heads cut off, just wondering about, you know, what is God doing and I don't understand? And is he really taking care of me? And is he going to provide? And getting all caught up and consumed and behaving like Matthew 6 says about like that, who are the pagans, the unbelievers, who don't know about this God who can take care of them. You and I in our different camp today, if we know him. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Let's seek him in that way. Let's remember that he's a God indeed that we can trust. Let's pray. Lord, we want to bless your name because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You're our foundation, God. And I pray that whatever we are, whatever situations we're in this very day, or even that are going to face us this week that we have yet to know about, I pray that you'll help, help us to have a quiet kind of confidence and trust in you. That, Lord, it'll be evident to those around us who don't know you that we are trusting in you. And that this might be an attraction, this might be something that is attractive to those who 
need to come to Christ. Father, I pray if there's anyone even here right now in this uh, group of people who has yet to really trust you with their life, with their soul, with wanting to be right with you and to spend eternity with you, I pray that you'll speak to them even now that you are a God indeed that they should put their trust in. pray you bless us for the rest of this coming day. We love you, Lord, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.